Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness, it's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. Hello and welcome to Vitality Radio. I'm your host, Jared St. Clair, and it's good to be with you on yet another episode of Vitality Radio. You know, as I prep for this show on a weekly basis, I routinely get into what I call the Vitality Radio rabbit hole, uh, where I'll start reading an article, oftentimes uh, going towards my rant, and boy, it just opens up all kinds of stuff that I've got to read. And uh, interestingly enough, this show is as much that way as any other show maybe that I've ever done, except possibly last week's show where I talked about the microbiome, probiotics, which are number four of my vital five. If you're expecting number five of the vital five tonight, I decided to go a little different direction, give myself just a little bit of a break. As I record, I have decided to go a little different route. I think it's been maybe a year, year and a half ago, that I decided it was time to do an all-rant Vitality Radio. Now, today isn't going to be quite that, but it's going to be pretty close. We may have 80% rant here, and I hope that's okay. That's part of this uh, rabbit hole thing I was telling you about. You know, I, I find one thing, and I dig into it pretty deep, and then I see another thing that's related, and I dig into that one, and another thing that's related, and I dig into that one, and yeah, it just goes on and on and that's okay because it is what it is and the information's good and you need to hear it. Now most of the information that I pulled for today's show actually comes from the New York Times of all places. You know, oftentimes I get information from I would say more alternative news sources. But whenever I get a chance, I like to bring it to you straight from the AP, the New York Times, even places like WebMD, the medical journals places like that, because I want to be as unbiased as I possibly can in bringing you this show, knowing that I am very biased in my beliefs about modern medicine, big food, major corporations in America, and so on and so forth. But most of this is very well documented. It's stuff that's been uh, in articles in the New York Times and a variety of other places as well. Now, at the end of the show, I'm going to talk about a little more about probiotics. That's actually why I decided not to go on to Vital 5, number 5 yet, is because I wanted to jump into the probiotic thing just a little longer because, frankly, I left some stuff out last week simply based on running out of time. And then I learned something this week that is fascinating that I didn't even know as of last week. And it's it's a big deal when it comes to probiotics and your mental health. So basically what we've got here is... Uh, a lot of confusion still about CBD, and I want to bring that to your attention. Uh, I, I think it's very interesting with all the information that came out as Proposition 2 here in Utah was being 
fought for and fought against, eventually voted in and then somewhat dismantled and changed. A lot of stuff's happened with medical marijuana, CBD, THC, things like that in terms of the consciousness of the consumer here in Utah. And as I question or as I get questions at Vitality, I uh, recognize that the education level is still fairly low for most people when it comes to what we're doing uh, or, or what we know about CBD, THC, and things like that. So I want to hit that for just a couple minutes before the rant. So what is CBD and is it legal? CBD is cannabidiol, which is part of the reason they call it CBD. It's a little hard to pronounce. But THC is also a, a cannabidiol. They both come from hemp. And there's some confusion there for sure. You have hemp, CBD, which is what uh, we have carried at Vitality Nutrition for the last few years, which is a, uh, it comes from industrial hemp, the same stuff that you would make uh, rope out of or a t-shirt or something like that. And then you also have marijuana, of course, which of course is what Prop 2 is all about. That's where we would get THC and CBD. Interestingly enough, the legalities of this whole thing have just been confusing as can be. Because technically, in America, under federal law, hemp has been, up until very, very recently, pretty much completely banned, even the stuff that can't make you high. Well, back in January in Utah, and I'm not talking this month, but a year ago this month, uh, the uh, state legislature actually made CBD, as long as it didn't have more than 0.3% THC in it, uh, technically legal to sell. And before that, it was kind of a, a gray area. So if you see that people are out there selling CBD or you're hearing about it and you're wondering if it's even legal, yes, it is now officially technically legal in Utah. And that actually has not much to do with Prop 2, which is more about the THC side. Now, THC is, is more considered medical marijuana than is CBD, although they both have fantastic and profound medical benefit. THC happens to be the component, though, of marijuana that would get you high, and as such has had much more controversy uh, surrounding it because, well, frankly, it was demonized for a long time as something that we ought not to be using because it's a drug. It's an illicit drug, it's a gateway drug, and all these other things. And yet, opiates are still prescribed like crazy as really the standard of care for chronic pain when we know clinically that they don't even work for chronic pain long term. And we have all this controversy over THC. Well, in some form or fashion, um, medical marijuana is now legal in Utah, and at some point we'll have some pharmacies, I guess they're going to call them, as opposed to dispensaries. And as I learn more about what's going to happen with that, I will bring it to you on Vitality Radio. But that's not my point today. My point today is just to let you know that while medical marijuana has some really amazing merits, no doubt, I mean, the stuff is phenomenal in a lot of ways. And I think better than anything in some ways, uh, depending on what you're using it for. CBD from hemp is incredibly effective stuff. Now, it doesn't work for everybody for everything, just like nothing does. But for chronic pain, for anxiety, for depression, for insomnia, for uh, seizure disorders, 
for uh, things like Parkinson's disease and even OCD and ADD and ADHD and things like that, uh, autism even. There are people getting routinely excellent results with CBD and it's incredibly safe and it can't make you high. And I'll tell you, the stuff, the, the, the more I hear, the more people come in just saying how amazing the stuff is, the more excited I become because, you know, when you've done this as long as I have, at 41 years our family's been doing this, and I started actually managing vitality and nutrition when I was 15. I'm 46 now, so 31 years I've been running that place. Now, it sounds crazy. I'm old. Anyway, okay, so we go back. This whole process of what I've seen play out over the years, things that I'd never heard of before that are now bestsellers at Vitality Nutrition, a perfect example, of course, being CBD. I didn't even know what it was three years ago. I was clueless. I knew what marijuana was, and I knew about medical marijuana, but I didn't know the distinction between CBD and THC, and most people don't. And so what I want to really get out there in this little blurb about CBD, just because I felt like it needed to be heard, is that yes, you can get it. It does work. It works very, very well, and I consider it extremely safe. There's not a member in my family of any age that I wouldn't give it to if I felt like the need was there. And I use it myself. CBD is great stuff. Now, the second thing I'm going to say is be careful. There are a lot of brands of CBD popping up because it is the hot thing. And I don't believe that, I, I actually believe that most of them are fairly reputable sources and pretty good stuff, but there's all kinds of stuff out there. And I can't tell what's what half the time unless I really dig deep and look at certificates of analysis and find out where they're getting it from and how they're processing it and so on and so forth. So be cautious with that. We at Vitality have really decided that we're, we only sell two brands. We sell one topical brand that's made here in Utah called Muscle MX that for topical pain relief is just fantastic. And then we sell one brand, CV Sciences, for people who want to use it for all the other purposes, including pain internally. And that's what we've settled on. Now, I'm currently digging and looking for an excellent source of CBD that uh, will give us a little bit more variety, a little more options, hopefully even get the price down a little bit because it can be a little expensive. But if you've been hearing about CBD, you're curious about it, maybe you're concerned that it's somehow addictive or unsafe or whatever... I'd love to dispel those fears. Give us a call at Vitality and we'll talk about it. 801-292-6662 or come in and see us. CBD is here. It is currently legal. Even though there are not dispensaries set up to sell medical marijuana, you can buy CBD over the counter and it is legal and it is safe. And I am a big, big fan for very, very many reasons for very many issues that people are dealing with. Okay. With that being said, I gotta get some stuff off my chest. It's time for the morning rant. In a world full of often confusing messages about health, let Jared be your guide through the smoke screens of corporate greed 
media bias, government ineptitude, and propaganda. When you see what is really happening, you'll be ranting too. It's time to expose the hidden agendas. It's time for the truth. It's time for the vital rant. Okay, so, sugar, my own personal nemesis. Interestingly enough, when I was a kid, I got strange food at home. My parents weren't classic hippies, you know, Woodstock, Jimi Hendrix loving people. They were a little earlier than that generation, more Frank Sinatra and the Letterman. But, uh, and then they weren't dope smokers or anything like that. Speaking of THC and CBD, but they were kind of hippies when it comes to how they raised us kids. You know, uh, my dad wore Birkenstocks before Birkenstocks were cool, and then Birkenstocks weren't cool again. And didn't matter because he's wearing them regardless and always with his socks. And that used to be weird, but now kids wear sandals with socks. I don't know. These trends, they come and go. But regardless, we got some strange stuff. We were eating whole wheat bread when everybody else was eating white bread. We were eating blue corn chips when that wasn't even a thing hardly and we were doing all kinds of strange stuff but one thing that never really got shaken out of my home was sugar we all loved sugar sugar's delicious right candy treats things like that if there's one addiction that's more powerful than sugar i'd like to find out what it is because the stuff is powerful very powerful. And it's interesting when you look at the history of sugar in this country and you look at the history of carbohydrates in a, even you know broadening that out a little bit. We in the late 60s in this country started demonizing something and it might have been sugar except instead it was saturated fat. Now why is that. Is saturated fat this big, dirty, nasty thing that you're not supposed to do? Is bacon more dangerous and uh, bad for your heart and cardiovascular system than, say, a donut that's fried in vegetable oil? Because, well, vegetable oil doesn't have saturated fat, right? Yeah. Our opinions are changing right now. Our opinions are changing as people are buying vats of coconut oil and using it for all kinds of things, and that's well, saturated fat. People have decided margarine is not good for you because it's a trans fat, so we should be eating butter. But what were our parents told, or at least my parents, and what was I told as a kid? Well, margarine's better for you. Now, my parents never bought into that garbage. I, we never had a stick of margarine in our house. We never had Crisco. We just didn't do that thing, and... Thank goodness we knew better. But there was a study, a study that was misinterpreted. That's probably the best way to put it, called the Framingham Study. And it framed saturated fat as the, the perpetrator and uh, really ignored sugar. And it's very interesting because in, we, we have a New York Times article from two years ago that says the sugar industry paid scientists in the 60s to play down the link between sugar and heart disease and promote saturated fat as the culprit instead. Newly released historical documents show, oh, those dreaded leaked documents. The internal sugar industry documents 
recently discovered by a researcher at the University of California, San Francisco, and published Monday, now again, this is a couple years ago, suggests that five decades of research into the role of nutrition and heart disease, including many of today's dietary recommendations, may have been largely shaped by the sugar industry. Now, if this surprises you, just remember, conspiring men. Yeah, this is a real thing, and we're going to go into conspiracies when it comes to your health. For the rest of this rant, lots of stuff to talk about. They were able to derail the discussion about sugar for decades, says Stanton Glantz, a professor of medicine at UCSF and an author of the JAMA Internal Medicine paper. The documents show that a trade group called the Sugar Research Foundation, known today as the Sugar Association, paid three Harvard scientists, the equivalent of about 50,000 bucks in today's dollars, to publish a 1967 review of research on sugar, fat, and heart disease. The studies used in the review were handpicked by the Sugar Group, and the article, which was published in the prestigious New England Journal of Medicine, minimized the link between sugar and heart health and cast aspersions on the role of saturated fat. Now, let's go back and look at the details there. First off, we're talking three scientists from Harvard. Now, we generally speaking in our society in the 60s and today consider that to be some pretty good minds, right? Those to be some pretty good minds there at Harvard. And they were given the equivalent of $50,000 in today's money to publish a 67 review on research on sugar, on fat, and heart disease. And it was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. The Harvard scientists and the sugar executives with whom they collaborated are no longer alive, probably because of diabetes, hard to know for sure. One of the scientists who was paid by the sugar industry was Mark Hegstead, who went on to become the head of nutrition at the United States Department of Agriculture. Side note, you know the food plate, that Michelle Obama joke, or the food pyramid, or the four basic food groups, that's what I grew up with. You know that's published by the U.S. Department of Agriculture? Why is that not put out by the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration? Why would it be put out by the Department of Agriculture, the people who grow the food, of course the people who grow the food are going to influence the conversation as to what we should eat, right? Yeah, that seems a little strange to me. Okay, back to the Department of Agriculture. We have this Hegstead guy who was a professor at Harvard and then went on to become the head of nutrition at the United States Department of Agriculture. That's convenient, isn't it? It's like the drug, re uh, uh, the big pharma executive that ends up at the FDA. Yeah, that happens all the time, by the way. Uh, anyway, yeah, let's see. He was, uh, in, in 77, he helped draft the forerunner to the federal government's dietary guidelines. Another was Dr. Frederick J. Stair, the chairman of Harvard's nutrition department. In a statement responding to the JAMA Journal report, the Sugar Association said that the 1967 review was published at a time when medical journals did not typically require researchers disclose funding sources. The New England Journal of Medicine did not begin to require that until 1984. So, yeah, you know, that was pretty commonplace back then. The industry should have exercised greater transparency in all of its research activities, the Sugar Association statement said. Even so... It defended industry-funded research as playing an important and informative role in scientific debate. 
It said that several decades of research had concluded that sugar does not have a unique role in heart disease. <laughs> right. Now, if you think this is just stuff that was happening, you know, 50 years ago, think again, because a prominent medical journal just this last year in 2018 published a scathing attack on global health advice to eat less sugar. Now, I want, I want you to hear that again. A prominent medical journal on Monday published a scathing attack on global health advice to eat less sugar. Warnings to cut sugar, the study argued, are based on weak evidence and cannot be trusted. But the review published in the Annals of Internal Medicine quickly elicited sharp criticism from public health experts because the authors have ties to the food and sugar industries. So, man, those sugar guys, they didn't stop back in 67. They're still doing it today. The review was paid for by the International Life Sciences Institute, a scientific group that is based in Washington, D.C., and is funded by multinational food and agrochemical companies. Oh, my favorite word, agrochemical. Isn't that amazing? Anyway, that includes Coca-Cola, General Mills, Hershey's, Kellogg's, Kraft, and Monsanto. Oh boy, that's a murderer's row of people that don't care about your health. One of the authors is a member of the Scientific Advisory Board of Tate and Lyle, one of the world's largest suppliers of high fructose corn syrup. Critics say the Medical Journal Review is the latest in a series of efforts by food industry to shape global nutrition advice by supporting prominent academics who question the role of junk food and sugary drinks in causing obesity, type 2 diabetes, and other health problems. The Annals Review gave poor ratings to all of the sugar guidelines it evaluated, saying the quality of the evidence they were based on was low to very low. It said that the guidelines were generally not transparent about how the recommendations were reached and that most of them failed to include disclosures about potential conflicts of interest among their authors. <laughs> How's that? They failed to disclose potential conflicts of interest among their authors, says a report by people who are bought and paid for by General Mills, Coca-Cola, Hershey's, Kellogg, Kraft, and Monsanto? Talk about the pot calling the kettle black, huh? But Barry Popkin, a professor of nutrition at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, said he was stunned that the paper was ever even published because its authors ignored the hundreds of randomized controlled trials that had documented the harms of sugar. They ignored the real data, created false scores, and somehow got through a peer review system that I cannot understand, he said. It's quite astounding. All right, so that's the sugar industry shaping things in a really profound way. Because when you go back to 1967, you have to think that's about the time that all this stuff started happening. The low-fat craze that made us all fat and heart disease-ridden and diabetic because we switched out fat, which is actually generally a healthy food, the more that we research it, the more we find how good it is for the brain, how good it is for the cardiovascular system, and even saturated fat has no impact on cholesterol whatsoever. Of course, you keep reading, we recognize that cholesterol doesn't have that much impact on heart disease either, but that'll happen down the road. You'll start to hear that down the road because right now there's too many statin drugs that make too much money and 
Well, the money talks. But back to this food industry thing. Do you realize how many people have died or been seriously injured by the standard American diet, which demonized fats, real foods, and instead gave us margarine and Crisco and all these fake fats, these hydrogenated trans fats, which we now know directly in small amounts cause heart disease, that, and we swapped out all of our fatty foods for carbohydrate-laden and sugar-laden substitutes that made us even fatter and more sick and more diabetic and gave us more heart disease. And much of that was because of the industries that sell us that food. Now, part of the reason that I'm doing this rant the way I'm doing this is because I think it's time. In fact, I know it's time. And I know that a lot of people right now feel the way I do. And I wouldn't be surprised if you're one of them. That there are a lot of things happening right now that have been happening for a long time that have been just flat out lies about our health. That there are people in politics, sure, but also in food and also in medicine that for the love of money will mislead us and take us to our deathbed as long as it keeps their industry alive and breathing and doing well. And that is why we have to question everything now. We just can't take things at face value anymore, especially if it's coming from the industry who's trying to sell you something. We can't take things at face value from big pharma. We can't take things at face value from big food or agrochemical companies like Monsanto, who say, of course, well, glyphosate is totally safe. Never mind that it's ruining your microbiome and destroying your gut health and causing autoimmune disease and everything else. We have to recognize that on all, in all of that, those lobbyists are very powerful in Washington, and the stuff that comes down from the USDA and the FDA is highly influenced, highly influenced by these companies that do not care about your health at all. They only care about the bottom line, and that is important. So please don't just accept things to be true because, well, it's the prevailing opinion because the prevailing opinion is often proven to be wrong. Okay, so what are some more examples of this? How about Coca-Cola boldly lying to sell more soda? And 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 I want to I want to take this back a notch too. So people talk about how it's too expensive to eat healthy. It's too expensive to eat organic. It's too expensive to eat clean. And it is expensive in some cases. Now, in other cases, it's not that bad. But in some cases, it is, for sure. But, you know, I was just looking at it with my son, Bridger. We were talking about it, and we're looking at uh, changing up our, our way of eating uh, pretty dramatically over the next little while. And we're looking at our options to get really good, clean meat. And I said, you know what, just look up, let's look up the local CSAs. That's Community Sponsored Agriculture. And we found a source of excellent grass-fed, just beautiful beef that you can get for like six bucks a pound. And that includes the steaks, the roasts, the 
ground beef and so on and so forth. Now that's expensive for ground beef, yes, but it's not so bad for steaks and roasts. And we're talking really clean, local, buy it from the farm that actually raised the cattle and get it from the butcher that is right there on their premises. That's pretty cool because then you know what you're getting, where it's coming from. There's transparency there and transparency becomes very, very important in a world where money is still the biggest dictator of public policy. So if you're drinking your Coca-Cola, listen to this because now I'm not going to ask you to get off a Coke because it's bad for you. Because I think you know it's bad for you if you're drinking Coke. I'm, I'm going to guess that you know it's bad for you. Because I know sugar's bad for me, but I still like candy, right? So I get that. I understand. Very, very well, I understand. But now, maybe we need to take a stand on principle more so than just on what's good for our health. And I've been digging pretty deep into this. This Just this last week, I've probably listened to 15 hours of podcasts specifically on these topics of health and really trying to, and, and diet specifically, and really trying to dig deeper into this for my own personal benefit. And there's some really, really great information. So let's talk about Coca-Cola and let's talk about principle, maybe. Maybe that'll get you off your Coke, assuming you drink Coke. Hopefully you don't. You already figured that out. Coca-Cola, the world's largest producer of sugary beverages, is backing a new science-based solution to the obesity crisis. Now, I have to disclose something. I'm pulling this from notes from a show from a few years ago. But it gives you an idea of what's been happening kind of behind closed doors, but Coca-Cola got caught a lot quicker than the sugar industry. So this is a few years back, okay? A science-based solution to the obesity crisis. Yes, Coca-Cola is backing a science-based solution to the obesity crisis. That in and of itself is a ridiculous statement. To maintain a healthy weight, get more exercise and worry less about cutting calories, they say. The beverage giant has teamed up with influential scientists, because all these scientists are told so trustworthy, who are advancing this message in medical journals, at conferences, and through social media. To help the scientists get the word out, Coke has provided financial and logistical support to a new nonprofit organization called the Global Energy Balance Network, which promotes the argument that weight-conscious Americans are overly fixated on how much they eat and drink while not paying enough attention to exercise. You know, most of the focus in the popular media and in the scientific press is, oh, they're eating too much. They're eating too much. Eating too much. Blaming fast food. Blaming sugary drinks and so on. The group's vice president, Stephen N. Blair, an exercise scientist, said in a recent announcement. And there's really virtually no compelling evidence that that, in fact, is the cause. Yeah, that's what he said. He, he just said that, okay? This is a supposedly a scientist. That eating too much, there's, there's no compelling evidence that that is, in fact, the cause of obesity, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. There's no compelling evidence that eating too much would make you fat. Oh, my gosh. It's unbelievable how willing these people are to put their reputation on the line for money. Because his reputation, as far as I'm concerned, is shot. This Stephen Blair is a liar. He's a straight-up liar. 
He's an exercise scientist, whatever that means. So what all he's going to say is, oh, well, exercise is more important. Yeah, okay. Health experts say this message is misleading and part of an effort by Coke to deflect criticism about the role sugary drinks have played in the spread of obesity and type 2 diabetes. They contend that the company is using the new group to convince the public that physical activity can offset a bad diet despite evidence that exercise has only minimal impact on weight compared with what people consume. And boy, the evidence there is incredibly clear. Exercise is a big deal for fitness. We know that. It's incredible for you. It's great for your anxiety. It's great for your depression. It's great for your health. It does help you burn fat. It does help you build muscle. But it is minimally important when it comes to obesity. Food is the biggest, biggest factor. It always has been and it always will be. And yet Stephen Blair, the vice president of this shell group that's secretly owned by Coke, uh, is saying, no, it's exercise, man. Don't worry about cutting your calories so much. Just work out more. You'll burn more of that stuff off. And of course, it's all half-truths, right? Because exercise is a big deal, like I said. And burning calories is a big deal. But consumption is still one of the biggest, biggest issues. Okay, so why would this group just suddenly appear? Why would Coke be funding it? Well, maybe because full-calorie sodas at the time that this group was formed had dropped by 25% over the last decade in terms of uh, sales. That's a big deal. Yes, Coke is actually losing right now. They're not gaining in popularity and sales. They're losing in popularity and sales. So, of course, they want to stop the bleeding. Coke has made a substantial investment in the new nonprofit. In response to requests based on state open record laws, two universities that employ leaders of the Global Energy Balance Network disclosed that Coke had donated over $1.5 million to start the organization. That was back in 2008. It also provided close to $4 million in funding for various projects of the two organizations' founding members. Dr. Blair, a professor at the University of South Carolina, whose research over the past 25 years has formed much of the basis of federal guidelines on physical activity. So again, ties to government, ties to big food. Don't trust that person. It's, it's a bad idea. And then Gregory Hand, the dean of West Virginia University School of Public Health, Records show that the network's website is registered to Coca-Cola. This is my favorite part of the article, by the way. Headquarters in Atlanta, and the company is also listed as the site's administrator. The group's president, James O. Hill, a professor at the University of Colorado School of Medicine, said Coke had registered the website because the network's members did not know how. Okay, so we have three high-powered scientists in theory, you would think these people could probably figure out how to register a website. My nine-year-old daughter could figure out how to register a website. And they say that Coke had to do it because, well, they just didn't know how. I mean, what an absolute load of garbage. The good news, after lots of public pressure, uh, a lot of people publishing articles about this, people that uh, get irritated about this kind of stuff, talking about it like me, these guys go away in 2015 so it was a it was a good run 2008 to 2015 it didn't really do anything nobody bought into it because it was such a bogus thing in the first place oh uh, 
Coke's going to help you get fit. I mean, that's that's literally what they were saying. Coca-Cola is going to help you get fit. So yeah, this stuff's happening all over the place. It's not just Coke. It's not just sugar. It's even more than that. How about oatmeal? Yeah, oatmeal. Does that seem strange? Yeah, well, here we go. In addition to studies that crunch data, companies pay for clinical trials that test the effects of food in humans. PepsiCo, <laughs> Coke's, you know, uh, sidekick there, well, well, not what it was, nemesis, I guess, uh, but just as evil, has funded and co-authored studies showing the benefits of oats as its Quaker empire has expanded to include oat-based treats like biscuits and breakfast cookies. In 2011, the company tested the hypothesis that its Quaker oatmeal and cold cereal would each be more filling than Honey Nut Cheerios, which is made by rival General Mills. The oatmeal was more filling among the trial's 48 participants, but results were mixed for the cereal, Quaker Oatmeal Squares. I'm sorry that the oat squares did not perform as well as hoped, but your hypothesis were, uh, or hypotheses were validated with the oatmeal, wrote Frank Greenway, chief medical officer at Louisiana State University's Pennington's Biomedical Research Center. So first off, he's apologizing that they didn't get the results that they were hoping for in a study. PepsiCo decided to publish only the results about its oatmeal, and they shelved the results about the other stuff because, well, they weren't significant enough to uh, merit publication. Many researchers fear that the body of scientific literature is being distorted by withheld results. On its registry for clinical trials, the National Institutes of Health explains that reporting results reduces publication bias and facilitates systemic reviews. That's part of science. You publish the results you get, not only the results that you want. And how about one more for the road here before I jump into the final topic of the show. Did you know that clinical studies show that candy makes kids thinner? I'm going to say that again. Candy makes kids thinner. Now, that's not exactly the headline that they published, but it's pretty close. Listen to this. An AP News article published in the New Bern, North Carolina Sun Journal opened with the statement, It was a startling scientific finding. Children who eat candy tend to weigh less than those who don't. The article went on to explain how the food industry uses its considerable influence (laughs) uh, in scientific findings. For instance, take the thinner children ate candy research as an example. It was drawn from a government database of surveys that asks people to recall what they ate in the past 24 hours. Yeah. (laughs) That's what... This this headline came from, okay? So the headline, children who eat candy tend to weigh less than those who don't. That was based on this. A government database of surveys that asks people to recall what they ate in the past 24 hours. I can't even think of anything less scientific than that. That is at the very, very bottom of the scientific totem pole, if you ask me. Now, that may not reflect usual intake, they said, and cause and effect associations cannot be drawn. There are limitations to the study, they called it. 
Interestingly, nothing was said about the limitations of the study. Instead, the Candy Association released the headline, New Study Shows Children and Adolescents Who Eat Candy Are Less Overweight or Obese, to the press. That was the headline they released. And that is what CBS News put as their headline for the article. New Study Shows Children and Adolescents Who Eat Candy Are Less Overweight or Obese. Now, if I was at CBS News and I was the editor, I think I would say, well, that's going to make us look like idiots. Well, and of course, CBS News doesn't need any help with that. But still, that's going to make us look like fools. Maybe we shouldn't publish something that says that as the headline. Are you kidding me? But we know we live in this clickbait world, right? We live in, I mean, ask Trump. He'll tell you about fake news. Whether you like Trump or not, you have to recognize that this is fake news, right? Oh, my heavens. Okay, so basically this is what it boils down to. And this is where I'll preach a little bit. I mentioned earlier that maybe it's time to take a stand against companies like Coca-Cola or Quaker Oats or PepsiCo or any number of these candy manufacturers. We have to do something because just ignoring this stuff and giving them more money to play with, to lie to us about the stuff they're selling us, it just doesn't make any sense, right? Why would we support companies who want our money at the expense of our health? Why do we support that? Why do we keep doing it? Why do we go to Taco Bell and McDonald's? Why do we buy Coke and Pepsi? Why do we keep giving them our money? Why do we give Kellogg's money when they used to have a, what what are those stupid things called? Chocolate Rice Krispies. That was the ones, right? The Cocoa Krispies. That's what they call them. And they used to say on there that they were an antioxidant. Oh, and then 7-Up. Yeah, the pomegranate 7-Up is an antioxidant. Did you know that? Well, antioxidants are good for you, right? Why are we giving these people our money? I think it's time to take a stand on principle. Not just on what's good for you, because we all do stuff that's bad for us, right? We stay up too late binge-watching Netflix. We eat ice cream at 2 in the morning. We do silly things for our health or... to oppose good health, I guess you could say. But when those silly things actually put money into the coffers of lying, cheating, terrible human beings, really, who just simply do not care about you, who will lie and cover things up for the express purpose of simply making more money, it might be time to take a stand on principle. Buy our food locally. Speak with your wallet, buy cleaner, better, healthier foods from not massive corporations. People even ask me about this whole organic thing, right? Well, can you trust organic? Well, unfortunately, not 100%. No, you can't. I'm not going to lie to you and say that everything that says it's USDA organic is perfectly clean. It's not. And that stinks. Absolutely. So then don't buy the big name stuff. Don't buy Horizon Milk. It's owned by Dean Foods. Dean Foods is terrible. 
They're a terrible company that makes garbage, and they happen to buy Horizon. Don't buy emergency vitamin C. Don't buy emergency. Why would you buy that? It's owned by Pfizer. Don't buy Burt's Bees. Why would you buy Burt's Bees? It's owned by Clorox. Right? Don't buy new chapter vitamins. I'll be the first to tell you they make some really good vitamins, but we stopped carrying them at Vitality because they're owned by Procter & Gamble. We don't want to support these people. We don't want to support these companies that have no scruples, that only care about the bottom line, that hide evidence that their food causes cancer and diabetes and obesity and heart disease, the biggest killers in our country. We have to take a stand, and the time is now. Now, I just went all the way through a 40-minute rant without even a commercial break. So I'm going to take one real quick just so I can catch a breath. And then I'm going to talk about a headline that's <laughs> going to make you wonder, but I'm going to say it anyway. Is it possible that poop could cure your anxiety? I'm going to talk about that when I come back. You're listening to me, Jared St. Clair, and this is Vitality Radio. After decades of helping people with their nutritional supplement needs, I have observed something that seems almost universal. People seem to have a lot of products that they have experimented with. Some might have been recommended by a blog or online, others from a magazine article, and yet another by a friend or family member. Information is coming at us at a rapid pace nowadays, and everyone has an opinion. The problem is that there is only one really big wild card in health and nutrition, and that wild card is you. I know you've heard the infomercials, seen the ads, or talked to that neighbor who has that cure-all product that can do it all for your health. The problem is that supplement doesn't exist. What's right for your neighbor isn't always right for you. At Vitality Nutrition, we've been asking the right questions for years. What I mean by this is, we don't just sell supplements, we consult with our clients and ask them the key questions needed to make sure we match the right supplement to the right person. If you feel better about a team approach to your health, give us a call and one of our well-educated Vitality team members will answer your questions and help you find just what it is that you need to address your health concerns, naturally. You can reach us at 801-292-6662, that's 801-292-6662, or drop us an email, info at vitalityradiopod.com, that's info at vitalityradiopod.com. Welcome back to Vitality Radio, I'm your host each and every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. So good to be with you again, I've only got about eight minutes left, so I better hurry in. You know, last week I did something on uh, probiotics, I did a lot on probiotics, a deep dive, and I was told by a few, not, uh, well, more than a few of you that it was really, really interesting stuff, and the sad thing is I... I didn't get nearly as much evidence and information in your into your ears as I wanted to, but something cre crept into my consciousness this week as I was listening to the Joe Rogan podcast, actually, and uh, he was talking uh, to a researcher, 
And this was fascinating because it went right in with what I was talking about last week with uh, Kieran Krishnan and the research that he was presenting at a seminar that I was at just a few weeks ago. Now, I I left you with a, a pretty crazy headline, a little tease to bring you back, and here it was, Can Poop Cure Your Anxiety? Well, get this. In mice, and yes, this is mice, but we know that mice are... Um, one of the best things to study if you're trying to figure out what's actually going to happen in a human. This is really, really crazy. They, they took two groups of mice. One group that was bred to be anxious. So the, the mom and dad were anxious. The kids were anxious. They've been anxious for generations. Okay? Bred to be anxious. And then mice without anxiety. And maybe you've heard of this. A fecal transplant. What does that sound like? Well, it doesn't sound good, right? They're literally taking feces from one mouse and putting it into the other mouse. And like I said, this goes hand in hand with what I talked about with the two brains, right? We have the actual brain, and then we have the second brain, which is the gut. And we realize now that we have a thousand times more uh genes in the, in fact, we don't even know. We're, they're still learning. But the, gen, the genetic makeup of the gut is massive because we have so many more actual genes in the different species of the microbiome. And we always talk about genetic predisposition, right? Well, they genetically bred these mice to have anxiety. And when they put the feces from mice that did not have anxiety into them, they almost immediately became less anxious. Now, remember, we talk about mental health in this country as a disease that has genetic links. So if your mom had anxiety, you're likely to have anxiety and so on, right? And we we know that to be true. There's, There's very good evidence of that. And why is that? Is it our genes? Well, what else do we have in common with our mom? A lot of things that we have in common with our mom are actually in the microbes inside of our gut. We have a ton of that that came from mom. And so if she's anxious and we're anxious, maybe it's not our human genes, but our bacterial genes that are creating this issue. So they gave, they they put poop, for lack of a better term, into mice who were anxious from mice that were not anxious And they became less anxious, dramatically less anxious. And then they took poop from the anxious mice and put it into the non-anxious mice, and they became anxious. So when I say that if you have depression, or if you have anxiety, or if you have OCD, or if you are bipolar, or whatever, when I say that, You have to start with your gut. We have so much evidence now that that is 100% true. You've got to start with your gut. It's a huge thing. Because if you don't start with your gut, you're missing the biggest piece of the pie, in my opinion. Remember, 90% of serotonin, 90% of the serotonin that we produce is produced in our gut and then transferred to our brain. And so, 
we have to recognize that we've got to take care of that microbiome. Now, I'm not saying that if you've got depression, you go out and get a fecal transplant. In fact, what's interesting is this is really, really new. You know, they're doing that for people with C. diff because it's saving lives. In fact, 90% of the time they do a fecal transplant on someone with C. diff, it cures them. But now we're talking about mental health and it's going to take some time for them to figure this out in humans for sure. But what if you can do it without a fecal transplant? And I'm not going to say that it's going to be 90% successful. I don't believe it probably is. But if you struggle with one of these things, anxiety, depression, or any of these other things that I've mentioned, you owe it to yourself to examine your gut. One thing that I've noticed at Vitality over the years is when I talk to somebody who's got anxiety, when I've got to talk to somebody who's got depression or OCD or any of these things that people struggle with, bipolar, these types of things, and I start to talk to them about their gut, almost invariably they say, oh yeah, I've got issues there too. Well, of course you do. Your gut's a mess. Your head's a mess. They go hand in hand in a very dramatic way. And I see it all the time when people start working on their gut. It helps their head. It really, really does. And the only way that I know of to really, really profoundly fix that problem is to address it with the right kind of probiotics outside of maybe this whole fecal transplant. And the reason the fecal transplant works is because they're taking probiotics from one person's poop and putting it into another person. And the one person has a healthier gut microbiome. That's the difference. And in this case, it's mice, but they've done it in humans successfully, like I said, for C. diff as well. So these endospore probiotics, like I talked about, that are in Just Thrive, that's the stuff. It's the best thing I've ever seen to do that because it helps to rebuild the entire microbiome in the gut, not just little individual pieces like most probiotics do. And it survives all the way down to the colon where the rubber hits the road, so to speak. So we have, have to take care of our guts. We have to take care of our guts if we want our head to be well. Frankly, if we want any of our body to be well. It all starts there. Okay. I've taken enough time. It's time to run. I always have to thank you whenever I do an episode for giving me your ear, even if it was just for a little piece of what I had to say. I really appreciate it. I know your time is valuable, and I appreciate any minute that you'll spend with me listening to Vitality Radio. If you like what you hear, go tell somebody. Thank you for listening to me, Jared St. Clair. This has been another episode of Vitality Radio. been listening to the vitality radio podcast enjoy your week in the meantime jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it vitality radio is researched and written by jared st Clair, produced by elizabeth joy windham with very limited help from jared our awesome music is by brian bob young Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you.
everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Vitality Radio. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast has not been evaluated by the FDA. This podcast is provided with the understanding that the information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a medical professional. Thank you.